0: You know, I know something, you know, I've been in church my whole life. I started going to church nine months before I was born. (laughs) (laughs) And I was there the first Sunday afterwards, and I've. I've uh, been there almost, I, I, kept, I haven't probably missed 10 Sundays at church in my lifetime. Plus, you know, I grew up Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, lots of other nights, revival nights, other prayer nights, visitation nights, choir practice nights. You know, you had all these nights. But I can still say I was glad, I was joyful, I was excited when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I mean, I, I get happy about going to church. I love it. I love it. And I, I, you know, I know people say, well, it's so predictable. Well, it might be to you, but I, I come every Sunday not knowing exactly what's going to happen. I know we're going to have some song. I know we're going to have some preaching. That's what we do in church. But the move of the Spirit and what God does, and, and, and you don't know what's going to happen. And I, it's an exciting thing. And uh, thank you for helping us facilitate that in our church. That's a a great thing. I'm so excited about what God's doing in our church. The Holy Spirit is really moving in a fresh way, and and we've been growing in numbers and growing in maturity and growing in in just a move of the Spirit, and we've been preaching on on transitions for growth and steps we need to take as individuals, as believers, to grow in our faith and to grow in our life. And and today I'm going to preach a message entitled uh, Transitions for Church Growth for church growth. By the way, how many of you guys have seen the movie uh, Jesus Revolution? How many of you have seen it yet? Quite a few of you yet. You, you, you got to go see that. We, I was alive during that time. Uh, it was a powerful time. Lived in Southern California for part of that and um, a real move of the spirit of revival that God did. It was called the Jesus Movement, the Jesus People Movement. It was hippies, uh, it was young people who were all about drug, sex, and rock and roll, who were lost, who were empty, who were looking for God and didn't know it. But God began to pour himself out on them. And uh, one of the facilitators of that was Pastor Chuck Smith at what became Calvary Chapel in Southern California. And he was at a little church with just some people that didn't want to change. They liked church the way they did it. But uh, uh, fortunately, they transitioned for growth. They transition for revival. They transition for a move of the Spirit. And, uh, and uh, Calvary chapels are all over the world and uh, really help facilitate this move of the Spirit. And so I want you to know that as churches, we have to make transitions uh, to grow. Uh, now, my apologies to advance, especially to visitors, because this first part of this sermon is going to be an, a couple of announcements. And, and then I'll get into to teaching uh, so my apologies in advance, but there's two major transitions we're making to facilitate growth in our church, and both of them will impact you, so I want you to, to be aware of them. Now, when COVID first hit, uh, we were limited to 10 people in a service for a while. So that was me and Pastor Deb and the praise team, Mike and Will. I mean, that, that was it. We were the 10, and, and everything was done online. We worshiped, and we preached. I would be standing up here preaching, and there was nobody here. Nobody. It was the weirdest time of my life. But we preached like this place was full. I mean, that's what you're called to do. And uh, because of that, we, we didn't need uh, two English services. At that time, we had uh, two English services, one at 9, one at 11. And then the Grace Latino was at um, one fifteen or one one. Um, when we started back meeting in person, only a fraction of our people came back at first. A lot of people were watching online, so we just kept to, we had changed our times to nine for English and 11 for Spanish, and we just, we just kind of stuck with that. And our intention was to stay that way until we grew enough in the nine to add back the 11, and, and the Grace Latino would go back to one. Uh, we've grown since then, but it's been really long, slow growth. And 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 we haven't been able to make the transition to two services yet. And by the way, one of the reasons we have not been able to is that with less people attending, we have less volunteers. And with less volunteers, you can't just pull off all the ministries for two services like you do when you have twice the people. I mean, we used to, uh, there's probably somewhere around 175 people in here today, maybe, but this, maybe 200, but this sanctuary holds 400. You gotta realize that. I mean, and so, I mean, it looks pretty full, but but it was compared to, but compared to what we were, we had two services this full or or more. And one of the things I've been praying about this whole time since that COVID time is service start times. I I always felt that just having the the 9 a.m. start time was too limiting. Uh, for reaching people. Uh, We have reached some new people. Thank you. Thank you for you guys who have new and have come here during this nine o'clock time. But for a lot of people, it was too early. And in fact, for some people quit coming and, and just watched online some people actually left our church and attended other churches that had later start times. And a lot of those were, some of those were young families. We have a vision to reach young families. And for older people, early is good, 9 a.m. is good. But I, I had lunch with a friend not too long ago who pastors a church that's mainly composed of young families. And we got to start, started talking about church start times. And he told me, I told him, well, we're meeting at 9 right now. And I had already told him we wanted to reach more young families. He said, Pastor Joe, you're not going to reach a whole lot of young families at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. It's just just hard for them. In fact, some of the families we lost were young families. They had kids to get ready. They had 30 minutes to drive here. It was just hard for them to do. So I did some research on start times for church in America. And I found that the most popular church start time was 10 a.m. So after... I am talking over a year of praying, agonizing, discussing, doing research. We are moving our English service start time to 10 a.m. And yes, some of you are going to be happy and some of you would be booing right now if it would be appropriate in church. (laughs) I I, I get it. That's a hard thing when you make a decision. Some people are going to like it. Some people don't. but our intention is to add back the nine and have a nine and an 11. Yeah. You with me? Yeah. And the, the, So the, I, I think going to 10 will facilitate that growth faster because I think more people will come to a 10 a.m. service that, that do a 9 a.m. Uh, so on Easter Sunday, April 9th, that's a little over a month away, I think it's five weeks away is Easter, our service time will be 10 a.m. By the way, I think next Sunday is... Daylight saving times ends. Am I right about that? So spring forward, fall back. So spring forward. So your clock goes forward an hour uh, next 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 weekend. Well, on Easter we'll have a 10 a.m. English service. Grace Latino at 12:15. Grace Latino start time is still. We're working on when to exactly start that on an ongoing basis. We'll give you that information as we determine it, which will probably be this week. But for Easter, definitely, uh, it'll be 9 a.m. English and um, 10 a.m. See, I'm so used to ah! Now people are going to say, Patrick, you said 9 and I showed up. Like Pastor Deb said, I showed up for your house to dinner and y'all already ate. I showed up and nobody was there for church. But 10 a.m., and I uh, hope you enjoy the next hour of sleep. Our praise team is, uh, is, is uh, very happy about it because uh, they have to be here like at 7 and 7.30, something like that. What time do you have to be here? Seven. And some of these guys, like they drive from well, you know, Arlington, but some of these guys drive from Plano, uh, far away. And uh, anyway, that's the first transition we're making. So love me or hate me, I mean, that's... <laughs> keep coming and uh, keep praying um, and keep inviting. You know, a lot of people that have been coming late, lately have been due to personal invitations from our people. So keep inviting people. I appreciate it. I love you for doing that. Thank you so much. And now I want to talk about a leadership transition. Uh, you know, we have a vision to have our leadership structure based on the five-fold ministries. Um, I'm going to explain that today in a little bit. Um, but in that model, in the our church government is by elders. We believe that is the New Testament form of church government. There's elders appointed in every church uh, to lead the church. Uh, and then all the others, ministries, fit into one of the five-fold ministry roles, uh, apostle, evangelist, pastor, a teacher, a prophet, um, all, all those five-fold ministries. And we were moving in the direction of actually setting up the structure of our church. And I'm going to show you this next week in more detail. Um, Uh, the structure of our church we were going to set up under the fivefold ministry. And as we were moving towards that, three of the people who were very integral to that transition left. And one of them got married and his wife attended another church and wanted him to go there. A couple of them started a different ministry. So we had to kind of put all that on pause, go back to the drawing board. And so what we did last year, last year we focused on the pastoral area. If you recall, we had a John, Dr. Bosman in, and we trained uh, so many people, uh, I think 80 people in pastoral care ministry. And that ministry is starting now. And I'm hearing testimonies from the people getting ministered to and the people doing the ministry, which is an exciting thing. Thanks to Jimmy March and, and his team and uh, all of them for what they're doing. Then after that, okay, we decided we got to focus next on the teaching area. And that's when we, we started up our, our grace groups that are meeting here on Wednesday night. If you're missing Wednesday night, you're missing a big thing. Thanks to Ken and Sherelle Martin and their team, their awesome team, Adam and Adelaide and everybody who's working with them. Uh, and we have our Grace Journey discipleship classes starting back up. Thank you, Burgers, for getting that going. And so we've been concentrating on each of these five-fold areas. The, the, the pastoral, the teaching. And a third focus has been the apostolic area, uh, which is, focuses on carrying out the vi- vision. Apostles are sent forth with a vision to carry out a ministry that God wants them to do. And in, in, within the context of a local church, this apostolic team was carrying out the vision of the, that the elders uh, steward. And we started an apostolic team, which included our elders and Pastor Mary Scarce, who's our executive pastor. And that that team focused on accomplishing the vision of the church. But we feel we need to make some changes. Uh, first of all, we felt we were diminishing the role of elders because everybody started thinking in terms of the apostolic team rather than elders. And biblically, we see that elders are the ones who are are, 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 are leading the church. And so we believe we need to refocus the elders to focus on big picture things, uh, vision, mission, budget, personnel, overall policies, things like that that we have to do in church. We, we felt led that the elders need to focus on that. We're spending too much time on, on small details and daily operations, and it bogs down things getting done because everything has to come back up through the, to the elders to get decided. Uh, and we don't have this totally fleshed out yet. There's a lot of details that be determined. Uh, but I'm going to give a whole lot more details next week on what that looks like. But I really felt the Lord saying to, to, to teach on the fivefold ministry this week so that, because some people are new. Some people never heard about it, don't understand it, and we've got to all be on the same page. And so next week I'm going to concentrate and focus on apostolic ministry, but I want to talk today about the fivefold ministry. ministry. So you might be asking, well, how does that impact me? I get how a time change impacts me. I got to come later and go to lunch later or whatever. Uh, it's called dying to self, you know, for the sake of others. Uh, but I've been preaching lately on knowing your call and and your ministry, being faithful, being fruitful, multiplying. But see, just because you have a calling from God and and just because you know you have a calling from God does not mean you're ready to fulfill that call. I just had a memory of the first sermon I ever preached at Shady Grove way before I was an elder or anything. It was called, He Went But He Wasn't Sent. And I did a whole study on people in the Bible that went out and did something without being sent by God or sent by the church, and they had disastrous results in their lives. you got to go through a process of preparation called equipping. The, the root Greek word for, for equip is, is, a, is a Greek word, called, it's in the New Testament, called katartizo. It means, listen, to repair, to mend, to adjust, to join together, to prepare, to restore, to put in order. To complete thoroughly. In fact, Thayer's Greek lexicon says that it means make you what you ought to be. So yeah. What ought you to be? <laughs> yes, well, fortunately, we know from Romans eight twenty nine that those who God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness or the image of his son. We are all destined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We all have different callings, but all of our our destiny is alike to become like Christ. And that doesn't just happen. You must be equipped to become like Christ. Luke 6, 4 says, a a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like his teacher. That's why James says, don't be many teachers or masters. Don't wait. You're going to have a stricter judgment. You're going to be accountable for what you hear said today. I'm going to be accountable for saying what I say to a whole lot of people here and online. So I have a greater accountability. And and, and you teach what you know, but you impart who you are. And the more people learn from you, it's not just they learn what you know, but they become like you. Everyone who's fully trained, fully equipped will be like his teacher. And the more equipped you are, the more like Christ you will become. And since none of us are totally like Christ yet, and I'm not asking for a show of hands if you are, (laughs) I don't need to because I know you're not yet, all of us have some equipping to do. Amen? And And we need to be equipped. And God oversees this process of equipping. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. By the way, Jesus is speaking of fivefold ministry. He's the great shepherd, he's the great apostle, he's the great evangelist, he's the great prophet, he's the great teacher. May that great shepherd equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. God has you in a process of equipping that he is overseeing, and that process is to make you like Christ and to equip you with everything good that you need to accomplish his plan and his purpose for your life. You have an overall destiny to become like Christ, but God has a personal, specific will and call for your life, and God wants to oversee this process of equipping you, and one thing he uses is the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead to equip you, that's same resurrection power will give you new life, will heal your wounds, and will equip you to do everything you need to do God's will. Listen, God is not setting you up to fail. He's setting you up to succeed, and he provides everything you need to do so. He's overseeing this process of equipping, but he uses different tools to equip, equip us. He uses the Word of God. He uses the Holy Spirit. He uses circumstances. I read to you Romans 8:29 about being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Do you know the verse right before that? I'll give you a hint. It's Romans 8:28. <laughs> yes. At Romans 8:28 is the verse about God working all things out for our good. For those who love Him. For those who are called according to his purpose, he works all things out for our good. The next verse is, so that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The greatest good God wants to do in your life is not make you happy, but to make you holy. The greatest good that God wants to do in your life is not about making you successful or giving you more power or more money. I'm not against those things, but what God is saying, his greatest good in your life is to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. And God uses his word, and God uses circumstances, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to work together. All things work together to make you like Christ. And then he also uses unbelievers. I mean, believers, excuse me. I keep saying the wrong. Stuff to stay. But one of his main tools is a five-fold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Ephesians 4, 7 through 13 is where we get this. He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That's why the scripture says when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to his people. These are the gifts of Jesus. We talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and we have those, the gifts of the Father we find in Romans. These are the gifts of Jesus, and these are gifted ministers. These are the gifts Christ Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until, can you say until? this will continue until we all come to the unity in our our faith, the knowledge of God's Son, and we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Jesus Christ. I don't think any of us are there yet. So, we still need this five fold ministry in our lives and in our church in order that we might become to unity. Then we'll be no, and maturity. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every every wind of new teaching. I'm telling you, that is happening so much. I I got a a message from somebody who used to go to this church and moved away, and they got involved in some kind of Bible study. And as as they got into it a little ways, they figured out, they they finally figured out uh, that it was some kind of a cult that I never even heard of. And, 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 I, and I told him, run, run, run. Have you found a church yet that preaches the word? Well, no, I haven't. So you're listening to church on the, on the internet. It turns out to be a cult rather than finding a Bible-believing church that you're planted in and plugged into. We don't need to be blown about by every wind of doctrine and teaching. We will not be influenced when we're mature and the five-fold ministries working in our life will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Fivefold ministry. Their job is to prepare us, the people of God, for ministry, not to do all the ministry themselves. And it takes all five of these ministries to fully represent Jesus Christ to the church. If any are missing in the church, there's an important ministry of Christ missing in the church. And there are a lot of churches, a lot of people who believe apostles and prophets are no longer valid ministries in the church today. But I showed you how all of those are needed until we all come into perfect unity and maturity, and we're not there yet. The five-fold ministry is needed in this church, in every church, and we've got to make sure we transition to, to, to make room for that because these ministry gifts are given to equip us, the body of Christ. Apostles are sent out to start churches and lay the foundation. They're spiritual fathers of a church. Pastor Deb and I would be spiritual father and mother in this church. And we had an apostolic team of us, that, of us including the Krauses, that was sent out at the start of this church here in Grand Prairie. Prophets speak forth the word of God. Evangelists proclaim good news to the lost. Pastors shepherd the flock. Teachers teach and explain God's truth. So apostles erect the church. Prophets direct the church. Evangelists connect the lost to the church. Pastors protect the church. And teachers correct the church. And these ministries are given to equip the body of Christ. It's given to equip you. Here's how it happened. Evangelists are gifted to share the gospel. They birth babies into the kingdom of God. They're excited to tell people about Jesus and to see new believers come into the kingdom. But their excitement about that lasts about five minutes and they're ready to move on and to birth another baby into the kingdom. And that baby, if it was up to evangelists, that baby would be left to itself. If it wasn't for pastors who provide nurture and care and comfort and protection. But the problem is in a lot of churches, the pastor is the only one of these ministries that you have. So there's a lot of Christians who've been saved 30 years still looking to the pastor for all the ministry. Christians need more than to be birthed into the kingdom and to be just cared for in the church. That's why you need prophets. You need somebody to say, it's good that you're in the kingdom. It's good that you're cared for. It's good that you're so well fed. But God has a call on your life. You have a destiny and it's time for you to do the work of God that he has called you to do. Prophets impart vision and motivation to fulfill our destinies and our calling. But if prophets are all we have, Christians will fail because they may see they have a calling, but they won't know how to do it. That's why we need teachers. Teachers open the Bible and show us how to do what we're called to do. That's how the evangelist, the pastor, the prophet, and the teacher work together to equip saints to grow to maturity. That's how God designed the church to operate. And the apostle, like I said, is is the father of the house who oversees that that whole process to be sure all the gifts are operating and operating in order. They watch the baby Christian grow in their faith. And the the apostle is the one who says, I think you're ready to finally launch out into ministry. But the process isn't over yet. Because what happens when you step out in faith? A lot of times, you crash and burn. So the pastor rushes in to comfort you and encourage you. The prophet says, yeah, you messed up. But you still got a call of God on your life. Don't you dare give up. But the teacher comes in and says, well, you crash and burned because there's some things you didn't understand. Let me explain it to you. And then the is the one that says, you know what, it's time for you to try again. You see how these ministries work together. That's how God designed the church to operate. That's how God wants to, to bless you and to equip you for the calling of God in your life. And there's this old saying that if the only tool you have is a hammer, then you'll treat everything like it's a nail. And a lot of churches operate on one tool. Some churches concentrate on evangelism. They get people saved, but they don't get a disciple. They don't grow. Some concentrate on teaching. They impart information, but nobody wants to do anything. They just want to learn. Some some churches concentrate on prophecy, and they give people words, but no one knows how to carry it out. We need all the tools in God's toolbox. The five-fold ministry works together, and their job is not to do all the ministry, but to equip you to do the work of the ministry. I grew up in churches that expected the pastor, they called him the preacher, do all the, that's what we hired you to do. We hired you to do all the work. Yeah. You do all the visiting, you do all the preaching, you do all the teaching, you do all the counseling, you do all the discipling, but it was never God's intention for one person to meet all of the congregation's needs. It's the job of five-fold ministries to equip the congregation to minister to each other. That really makes ministry a very unique job. Think about this. A doctor doesn't train patients how to be a doctor. (laughs) They're there to diagnose them and treat their illness. A lawyer doesn't train his clients how to be a lawyer. He simply represents them in legal matters. But a pastor's job is to train others to do what he does, to become ministers, to do the work of the ministry to minister to others in the body of Christ. And, and that's one of the hardest things. You, you know what? This is one of the main reasons churches stay small. Yeah. Right. The majority in churches of, America, of churches in America are under 100 people. About 75% of them are. And the reason is this mindset, and I had to overcome this mindset because I grew up in the paradigm where my father did everything in the church and did it well. But he mainly pastored small kind of country churches. And, and, and you can do that with 75 or 100 people. But to go beyond that, you cannot do that. You've got to equip. And the Bible tells us to equip others to do the work of the ministry. And Ephesians 4 shows us what happens when the fivefold ministry operates biblically. There is results in a church and there's a result in your life. When the five-fold ministry is operating biblically, it will impact you, your life, your family, your career, your finances. Hey, we're doing Financial Peace University. We're working together to help equip you to handle your money. We want to equip you in raising your children. We, we want to equip you in marriage. This is, this is equipping you not just to stand up and do something in a church service. It's equipping you for life. And when the five-fold ministry is in operation in the church, the first result is Christ-likeness. I already talked about that. A maturing Christian becomes more and more like Christ. Ephesians 4:13 says when we're equipped, we will all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining to the full and complete standard of Christ. Ephesians teaches us, Paul taught us in Ephesians, that if you're going to come to full maturity and become more like Christ, you need the fivefold ministry operating in your church and in your life. The second result of fivefold ministry is stability. Ephesians 4, 14 says, then when the fivefold ministry is operating, we will no longer be immature like children tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies that sound like truth. You've got to have the fivefold ministry operating in the church and in your life in order to, to be a stable believer. A third result of equipping is that truth and love are both evident in your life. I know some people are all about truth. By the way, those people usually have a prophetic motivation in their life. And their intentions are good. But they don't speak truth with love. And usually they'll just say, well, it's true. Well, just because it's true, number one, doesn't mean you need to say it. And secondly, just because it's true doesn't mean you can say it rudely. There's a way to speak the truth to people in love. Couples, we need to learn to do this better. I I, I can be a... Close your ears for a minute. (laughs) I don't always speak the truth in love. I tend to be more a truth guy, you know, uh, and, and I've, had to, I've had to work on the love part. I'm doing better, though, right? You're not saying nothing? Huh? Close my ears. <laughs> if you're all about truth and confronting people and have no love for people, you're not going to equip people properly. On the other hand, if you're all about love and mercy, and you never hold anyone accountable to the truth, that's not proper equipping e- either. Equip, equipped people will love you enough to hold you accountable. Yes. Ephesians 4.15 says, We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's head of the body, the church. To attain maturity in Christ, we've got to speak the, love, speak the truth in love. That involves direction and correction. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself. Or you may also be tempted. That word restore in this verse is katatiza, equipped. A fourth result of being equipped is having strong relationships. As if anything we need to be equipped in these days, it's relationships. So many people have no clue how to have relationships. We have a whole generation that can only communicate online to somebody else. They got to text them or, or DM them or something. But to have an actual conversation, I mean, they're just lost for words. Ephesians 4.16 says, From him the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament. Uh, joining together, fitting together speaks of relationship. And God wants to equip us and He uses fivefold ministry to help equip us in building relationship. And then lastly, the fifth result of five-fold ministry is everyone doing their part in the ministry. Ephesians 4:16. As each part does its own special work, are you part of the body of Christ? Some of y'all don't want to answer. But if you're a believer, you're part of the body of Christ. That means you have your own special work. God has called something, called you to do something. And as you do that, it helps the other parts grow. Please, if there's anything the American church needs to get away from, it's this me centered, consumeristic kind of mindset where it's all about me. I didn't get nothing out of it today. Well, what did you put into it? And who did you pray for? And how did you minister? What did you do? What did you give? You're expecting a return without sowing anything. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. You you reap what you sow. What are you sowing? And you're not here just for yourself. You're here for the other people in the body of Christ. And as each of us do our own, our, our special work, it helps others to grow. And as a result, the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. When everyone does their part, we grow as individuals. Listen, there I will tell you right now, there's probably some growth not happening in your life if there's an area of your life that God has called you to and you're not doing it. Now, if you're in a phase of preparation, I understand that. But if you're just not doing it, I'm telling you, there's some growth that is not happening. We have too many spectators and not enough participants in the American church. That's why there's so many immature Christians, because there's so many not doing their part. But we will grow as a church when everyone does their part in giving and serving and ministering and loving, and you will grow individually. So, what's your part? If you don't know, you better figure that out. And we're here to help you figure it out. What's your ministry? Listen, the strength of the church is not coming to hear us preach every Sunday. The strength of the church is what you do with what you hear if you're a doer of the Word and you begin to minister to uh, to each other and minister to our community. And if we want to see more people saved, if we want to see more people filled with the Spirit, if we want to see more people grow to maturity and stability, if we want to see people building strong marriages and strong relationships instead of falling through the cracks and, and slipping out the back door, if we want to see our church healthy and whole and mature in Christ, then we need to transition to a five-fold ministry to equip the saints and to expand our base of ministry. And I want us to be a congregation where every person knows their gift and uses their gift to minister to God and each other for the glory of God. Listen, this church needs you. I need you. The community needs you. What, will you answer the call? Will you be like Isaiah saying, here I am, Lord, send me. Amen. Here I am, Lord. And I know that some of you just don't know what to do. So Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, for each and every person in this church, God, that you would give them revelation, that you would give them, God, open eyes and open ears to hear you, that they would know what it is that you have called them to to do. We see in your word, each of us has a part. So would you lay on our hearts what our part is? God, speak it to each one of us. And help us equip them to accomplish their part. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, next week is going to be part two of this, where I'm going to go deeper into the apostolic role and what that means and what that looks like in this church. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down. If you need prayer for anything, maybe you don't know your calling. You say, I I need help in discerning that. Maybe you've never been born again and you need Jesus in your life. Maybe you've never been baptized in the Holy Ghost and you need to to be filled with the Spirit. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you need a financial miracle. These men and women of God would love to pray with you. Or you can come down here, kneel at this altar and pray on your own. Maybe you want to pray for somebody else, whatever it is. As we sing this last song, we stand together, we'll sing this last song.